0: To quote zoologist Newt Scamander, I am writing a book about magical creatures, a guide to help people understand why we should be protecting these creatures instead of killing them. And that's the type of hero we need right now, someone about preservation, not destruction. Welcome to Nerd Out, I'm Rob Lloyd, and with me as always is the great Sandro Felcher. How you doing, mate?
1: Hey, I'm doing pretty good.
0: Look, it's a dark time right now. We have um, Trump leading his way to the White House. We have horrible stuff happening around the world. There's Syria. There's issues about possibly banning illegal refugees for a lifetime here in Australia. We need escapism more than ever because in that escapism, we can actually find idols that have morals that we admire and can look up to that should be incorporated into our world. So let's start
1: nerding out. Are you ready? I'm definitely ready and this is probably the, in terms of escapism in movies, we're going to be reviewing one that is probably the most escapist film, probably next to Rogue One that we're going to see this year.
0: I think so, I think so. Yeah, we're going to be looking at, you know, what we've been consuming lately we've got a new segment about what's been going on update of news and we're going to be doing a fully fledged main review about the latest addition into the JK Wizarding and Witching world Um, we'll be looking at Fantastic Beasts and where to find them and I'm excited to have a bit of a chat with you about what you thought about this latest addition to the uh, J.K. Rowling uh, Wizarding Cinematic Universe
1: I am as well Um, it's going to be really interesting to have a chat about it because we were, well we weren't necessarily being too positive about it at the end of last episode and that may change
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Alright, so let's get started with some uh, some uh, nerd headlines. Uh, tell us what you've got in the way of Inhuman news. We were talking about this a couple of episodes ago, but you've got more developments about Inhumans, uh, Sandro. Yes,
1: yeah, so we were discussing uh, in the first episode of Nerd Out whether or not the Inhumans movie should be made and... Whether or not the lineup still works. I've kind of been pushing it back and back really ever since they announced it. Well, uh, about a week ago, we got the news that Marvel are going to be working with ABC once again, the American one, not the Australian one, to produce Marvel's The Inhumans. It's an 8 episode long live action series. It's going to, I think, follow the same format as Agent Carter except instead of airing at the start of the year, it's going to air in September of 2017 and the first two episodes are going to be shot in IMAX and are going that... to be shown in IMAX cinemas which is, I think, a first for <laughs> a lot of TV which is uh, which is, exciting. Aside from Game of Thrones, of course. I think that one was shown in IMAX a little while ago.
0: Yeah, well, they've, um, they've they've shown Doctor Who stuff on the cinema screens, but not on the big screen. And it's it's <laughs> I think it's a bit of a a, a, shi- uh, a sign from Marvel going, oh look, yeah, we are going to give you an Inhumans movie. Well, we're giving you an Inhumans TV show, but we're doing it on the biggest screen ever. So take that. <laughs> uh, doesn't cover up the fact that. You're not giving us a movie, you're giving us a TV show. But it could work, you know, and it's, if it's following the same format of Agent Carter doing a limited run uh, series, you know, Agent Carter is still by far my favorite of the Marvel TV uh, shows. Um, So, because it was fun and exciting and actually interesting and had a strong female lead. Um, And it was well written and beautifully acted and the, and the decor and the set and costumes was great. So let's see how Inhumans goes. Because Inhumans is sort of like, yeah, you know, the Marvel universes, uh, well, cinematic Universe and television universes, form of mutants because mm-hmm. they don't ha- they can't actually use their own product from the comic books mutants because that's all tied up with Fox.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be following the whole mutant ish storyline which we have currently been seeing in Agents of Shield. This is more going to be focusing on the Inhuman royal family with uh, with Black Bolt, the talking dog. Uh, a bunch of other characters whose names escape me but are really fun in the comics.
0: Yes, yeah, there's a character called Lockjaw as well, is that right?
1: Yes, yes, that's his name, Lockjaw.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, that's going to be landing uh that's going to be landing next year and uh hopefully, you know, the juggernaut that is uh Marvel Disney uh powering through in uh all uh <laughs> in all media.
1: Yeah, cuz um we're getting the three movies next year. We're getting 23 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're getting 8 episodes of The Inhumans, we're getting Iron Fist, Punisher, (laughs) Defenders, we're getting so much Marvel next year, it's insane.
0: Be careful what you wish for, I say.
1: Um,
0: Alright, so trailers, let's look at trailers. Now, we were going to talk about uh, uh, one particular trailer, which we'll get to, but now that I know you've seen Fantastic Beasts and the Rogue One trailer has hit, (laughs) <laughs> and you've and by by default you've actually broken your own rule about only seeing one of the trailers. I would like to talk about the Rogue One trailer, and another one has just hit this morning, uh, which I know you're not going to see. But this other one has a little bit more information. You actually hear, um, you actually hear Felicity Jones say, "May the Force be with you." Got a little bit more of a comedy in there. Um, so yeah, what, let's start with that one first. Let's start with a positive, shall we? Let's. What did you think of the Rogue One trailer on the big screen? That's the first time you saw mm. the most recent.
1: Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I do try to avoid the trailers. I only watched the first one for movies. I don't watch any TV trailers. I went to see Fantastic Beasts and went to find them and they basically forced me to watch the Rogue One trailer because I, I got there early. The Rogue One trailer started to play. I couldn't really block it out. So I was like, okay. I'll accept it and I'll watch it. And it was a, it, it was a nice trailer. I wouldn't say that it, that it's up there with uh, the Force Awakens trailers because they were really cool and really iconic. But this one was really good as, as like a storytelling trailer, and I really like that.
0: Yeah, I tell you what, I I I, I was sitting there watching uh news, uh, watching Fantastic Beasts in in Gold Class, and the trailer played and getting near the end, I'm starting to swell up in and my eyes are welling up, and I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, I was swelling up in other areas as well, but I was tearing up just to go. It's oh, it it was just building up beautifully. It's going to be very interesting to see how. In, in many ways, it's like the Netflix uh, version of Marvel characters. This is the ground level. This is the street mm. level Star Wars. These are these aren't your you know your Skywalker's or your you know your Mon Mothmas or stuff like that who are you know trying trying to control the powers that be in you know the, these aren't the big players these are the these are the extras these are the behind the scenes guys these are the the, the street level heroes um, that you know because of their actions you know they're a footnote they are one line in a new hope but we're getting an entire movie about them. So that's really exciting to see how these average people on the street level of of the Star Wars universe yeah. can be affected in this in this way. It's a very exciting way of looking at it how, you know, they're the average people, the every the everyday people. It'll be great to see how they are uh, band together.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: And tickets I, go on sale on Monday, so this is coming out next week. So tickets would have already been on sale, but it's been, you know, there's been nothing on the websites about when do tickets go on sale. Advanced ticket sales go out for Rogue One because they were selling Force Awakens tickets like a month beforehand. Yeah, but they, yeah, but the ticket sales are dropping on Monday, so just uh, just over two weeks before uh, Rogue One comes out, and um, yeah, it cannot come soon enough. I'm already organizing my midnight screening uh, posse. How about you, Sandro?
1: Yes, I am as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. All right, so that's
0: that's the good. Let's look at uh, the other spectrum of that. The <laughs> Emerald City trailer has dropped. Would you care to uh, oh. share with us what Emerald City is about, Sandro?
1: Okay, so for some reason, uh, the people in TV land, they just can't get enough of The Wizard of Oz. We've already gotten, what, two TV shows in the past 10 years. We've got Tin Man we got a uh, Dorothy and the Witches of Oz, which I forgot even existed until I just looked <laughs> it up on... They basically, in 2014, announced that they were going to be making a dark, edgy version of The Wizard of Oz for teenagers. And the moment I heard that, I went, uh-oh. And it's called Emerald City. Um, I don't really know what it is, but there was a trailer that came out, and it was... Oh, it was painful.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's taking itself way too seriously. It's there going, We don't need another, yeah, re adaptation or reboot of of a beloved children's classic so you've got dorothy who's like a cop in kansas and she's been thrown to to oz in in in, you know the usual fashion fashion with a twister um the munchkins are now become sort of like the people of the north in game of thrones Um, the scarecrow is a buff dude who's like being crucified with crows on top of him. Vincent D'Onofrio's in it with a beard that would be better suited to a cast member from Excalibur. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, all I could say is get the fudge out of here. Get the funk out of here. I'm throwing like popcorn that I didn't have at my computer going, we do not need this. You know what? Uh, I'm all over, you you know, more fantasy, more, you know, adaptions of works that we haven't seen in a long time. But when it comes to The Wizard of Oz, the original film is cool, but there's only one version of Wizard of Oz that I like. It's Return to Oz. From that era, it was dark. It was sinister. It was cool. It was a little bit uh, cringeworthy in some parts. It terrified the hell out of me as a kid. You only want to see one or any Wizard of Oz production. It's Return to Oz. Boom. That is the best adaption of an Oz novel ever.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. Um, and from the look of the trailer, because she's a cop, it looks like they're going to go for like a week-by-week cop procedural show, and I thought like lucifer was bad in which they took the brilliant concept and character from Neil and sandman in which you know the lord of hell kind of quits his job comes to earth like a holiday spends a lot of time here that was a great comic book series in its own they took it they turned it into a week-by-week cop format in which lucifer was a cop it was stupid i thought that was bad enough but now they're making like the wizard of oz into a week-by-week cop procedural show which is just which is just plain stupid Um, another thing, I would actually have to just disagree with you, in which, uh, you said that we don't need any more Wizard of Oz, because unfortunately, you know, kids nowadays, they don't really know what Return to Oz is, it's never really shown on TV, I think I've seen it, like, once on, like, Channel 11, and let's be honest, who watches, who watches Channel 11? (laughs) And it's sad, you know, because whenever my friends think of Wizard of Oz, it's always, it's always, you know, the classic musical, which is fun, but it's just, it's not Wizard of Oz, You know, it's a bit of fun on the side, but when you really want to get into the world of Oz, that is definitely not the way to go about it. Um, and I think that we do need an adaptation to bring the actual story of Wizard of Oz like, to the big screen or the small screen, either way works. But this it just isn't the way to do it.
0: There's a kind of trend at the moment of taking these great concepts and ideas and trying to, you know, these square pegs and trying to cram them into a round hole. And that came out a lot more sexual than I wanted it to. So, like, they're trying to go, okay, we'll take this fantasy idea about the Wizard of Oz and cram it into this format that we want to be more like game of thrones it's like they're planning to do the arthurian legend as a procedural cop show yeah. and like yeah that And so the rumors are like arthur's going to be called art lancelot's going to be called lance um uh you know Guinevere's is going to be called gwen and they haven't announced it but you know if they're going to go that way they're going to go the full-fledged and you know um merlin's called merle and he runs a, you know, a, you know <laughs> he's a mechanic um oh that was a show yeah merlin in modern times when he worked in a mechanic shop Anyway, I can't remember the name of it. If anyone watched it, please remind me of it. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the show, but Merlin in modern times, he worked above a mechanic shop. Or, you know, a mechanics. A mechanic shop. What the hell? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of it, Sandro, and just want to stay here in my cocoon of 70s and 80s nostalgia mm. and live happily ever after. Now, um, just to finish off our news, uh, we'll talk very uh, briefly about um, 2016, the... Uh, the, uh, the Ramsey Bolton of years has, uh, <laughs> has taken yet another uh, two um, uh, mm. celebrities uh, in quick succession. Uh, on Thanksgiving Eve, we lost uh, Florence Henderson at 82. The, uh, the original uh, Mrs. Brady, um, an icon of uh, modern pop culture, uh, <laughs> uh, passed away, um, surrounded by family and friends at Cina Cien- 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 uh Hospital. Great loss. Uh, I, I saw one of her uh, recent TV appearances, Oh, within the last uh, 10 years actually. She guest starred on the American version of Whose Line Said Anyway, and she just dominated. She did some great scene work with Colin Mockery and uh, Ryan Stiles and, and just blew everyone away. She did some incredibly funny out of character scenes that just shocked everybody and uh, if, you, if you look it up online Floris Henderson on uh, the American who's lines anyway um, she's an absolute trooper she played up the whole you know uh, Mrs Brady role and uh, you know Carol Brady and uh mixed it up so do you have any sort of like uh, scope and understanding being such a you know uh, you know a young yourself about the impact that the Brady bunch had on uh, popular culture Sandra
1: uh, I know that it had an impact. Now, I've never really sat down and watched like an entire season, but I know quite a bit about the show and the cast, and of course how the cast behaved off camera and stuff like that. But um, it's yeah, no, I completely agree. Like it's had a massive impact on the world. I think not just pop culture.
0: Exactly. Well, something more up your alley, probably you know, uh, a passing which has probably affected you a bit more. It's more in your time. Um, Ron Glass, the actor mm. who played. Uh, Shepard Book from uh, the short-lived Firefly series and of course Serenity the movie he had a distinguished career for decades before he even uh, hit the sci-fi circuit with um, with Firefly has passed away at 71 just like within the last you know day or so great loss and has really affected uh, the nerd community in a huge way fabulous actor beautiful presence yeah. um, great sense of humour but a really dignified uh, persona as well and he'll be greatly missed
1: it's Yeah, it's quite sad.
0: Very sad, yeah. Let's take another one. Look, you know, we're all here going, let's just knuckle down because they're coming in quick succession. And I think 2016 is trying to take as many as they can in the last, you know, in the last month. So Mm. let's just bunker in, uh, stay in bed for the next month and um, just, you know, start 2017 with, you know, with a new hope.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Save us 2017 You're our only hope
0: (laughs) Um, So that's what's been going on in the news Um, Let's focus on uh, what we've been consuming lately So we haven't spoken for about a week or so So during that time, Sandro, what have you been uh, consuming?
1: I've been reading a bit. I've been rereading a novel actually. Got <laughs> out the reader. Yes. Um, I have found somehow some free time and I sat down and I reread one of my favorite fantasy novels from the past 10 years. It's by Peter V Brett and it's called The Painted Man, but in the US and I think for some reason in Australia as well it's called The Watered Man. Um, It's the first part of a kind of saga called The Demon Cycle, which I think at the moment is up to its fifth novel. Uh, They kind of fell apart after three, but I'd still recommend reading after that if you are going to get on board. Um, The plot is basically the same as Minecraft. Uh, At night, monsters come out. That's pretty much the premise of it. The book follows three characters... The first one kind of follows their journey from very young children. I think one of the characters is like one and a half by the time you meet him to then at the end of the novel in which they're pretty much 20-ish. And the entire of your first book is pretty much just world-building. But it's world-building done in a very unique fashion. It's written quite well. Uh, there's not much else I can say about it because it will pretty much spoil the plot. Um, it's a v- very simple concept A bit with some uh, complicated characters in there. Well, they're teenagers. I mean, what do you expect? (laughs) Um, It's one of those, those books that I would highly recommend if you like fantasy. The world is a very... Not necessarily unique. It plays to a lot of the great fantasy tropes, as in a small village that doesn't really know what the outside world is, and then there's, like, the desert village and the forest village and, like, all this type of stuff. But... It's written in a way, and the characters are written in a way, that there's just a lot of heart. And it's a lot of fun. It's a fun, dark fantasy novel with the concept of Minecraft. So (laughs) the painted man. Are
0: you going to carry on? So this is the first of the series. Are you going to try and make the time to carry on and catch up?
1: Yeah, well, I've read most of the second one, which is called The Desert Spear, which was okay. Uh, It's a weird one because it kind of takes a character who's introduced halfway through the first novel and then kind of spends the first half of its novel catching up with that character, and then you meet all the other other characters. It's a bit of a mess. Uh, And then I've heard that the third one is an improvement, but at the same time kind of loses all the heart. It's just a bit of a silly action novel, Um, which is why I went back to the the first one, rather than continuing on with the series. But if I have some more free time, I might read it. I know that uh, the final book's been released in a couple of months. Um, I think it's a total of five novels in the demon cycle. Uh, and yeah, I might read forward. It, it honestly just depends on time and whether or not the final book gets a good review.
0: Well, um, so it's crunch time now. So, um, what do you give uh, this book out of seven samurai?
1: Out of seven samurai, I'd probably give it a five and a half.
0: You keep passing those samurai into half and using them for your rating system. I, I it's it's just a massacre when it comes to your rating systems.
1: Yes. Uh, what can I say? I'm the Ramsey Bolton of rating things.
0: maybe one day nerd out will become the Ramsey Bolton of podcast. We'll play (laughs) you so much. You'll be in tears with laughter. Hey, hey. Oh, Um,
1: but yeah, the painted man, also known as the watered man. It says on the Wikipedia page, it's called the watered man in the U S but I've got it right next to me. And it's called the watered man in Australia as well. So I'm not entirely certain what's going on. Uh, what have you been consuming lately? Uh, Rob? um,
0: Well, I mentioned that, um, uh, Last time they'd be going to see um, The Power of the Daleks, the 50th anniversary of uh, Doctor Who story from 1966, which was the first appearance of the second actor to play uh, the Doctor, uh, Patrick Troughton, which has been lost. The tapes were wiped uh, decades ago by the BBC because they just never kept anything they were never thought about, you know preservation of old episodes they just needed to use film for other projects so um famously a lot of Patrick Troughton's stories are lost and this His first story is completely wiped. It only exists in uh, audio recordings done by fans who put up a recorder to the television and just saved it that way, which is remarkable. So what they've done, which they used to do a little bit with um, some episodes, some stories that just missed an episode or two, they released them on DVD with animated episodes uh, to fill out the story. But this is the first time they've attempted to do an entire story, all six episodes in one go. And so there was a lot of expectation. It was also um, released the minute on iPlayer, the the, the BBC equivalent of uh, iView. So really celebrating this 50th anniversary of the Patrick Troughton story of Power of the Daleks, all this type of stuff. So there's a lot of hype going towards it. They even released it in the cinemas out here in Australia and in uh, America. Uh, I went with uh, Mr. Mr. David Innes to go see it and Look, it was great to see it. It was great to see it on the big screen, but it showed the limitations. And from what we found out, they knew they had a very limited budget. They had a very limited time to do it in. They had barely six months to get this done. Um, And it shows. On the big screen, it shows. Like, uh, the movements are stilted. It's almost like a lot of people have been saying it's like Captain Pugwash, which is an old animation uh, cartoon we used to watch as kids. It's all shot in black and white, which I really adore. Um, but the cynics out there, uh, a little bit of myself going, this is just a money scheme to get as much money out of us because they're releasing it episode by episode on iTunes and on iPlayer. Then later in the month or you know, early next month in December, they're releasing it on DVD in the black and white format. Early in 2017, they're doing a Blu-ray where you get the color version. Yes, a color version of it as well as the black and white version. But the, the thing is for me is I'm okay with the animation if it was just done for online or home uh, consumption. But yep. once you put it in a cinema, there is an expectation there. You know, people go to the cinema to see Zootopia, to go see if, if, if it's old school animation, Beauty and the Beast, or, you know, anime, you know, Japanese animation stuff. There is a quality expected of this. But when you've got such a cheap production in such a short time limit that they had it really doesn't hold up and it takes you out of the scene and it makes you get a little bit angry and upset it was wonderful to have it and it's a wonderful experiment but it's a case of it just if only they were given a little bit more time and money hopefully this leads on to other things if it's if enough people see it and enough people buy it, enough Doctor Who fans get behind it, we might get more animated to see some other classic stories. So it was a big disappointment for me. It's 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 what we got, but it's not, you know, it's not the best of quality. So I sadly mm. give it uh, three samurai out of seven samurai.
1: That's a shame.
0: Some sequences were done beautifully, but it was just a, yeah, it, we looked at it in you know, a sort of going, what could have been? if they had more time and they had more money. Yeah. Um, yes, speaking of time and money, let's go into our main focus for this episode. And it had pretty much all the time and all the money. I think it pretty much stole all the time and money from every other uh, production going on at the moment. So, yeah, let's blame uh, The Power of the Daleks, lack of time and money on Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The most, the, the, as I said, the most recent uh, edition addition to the J.K. Rowling uh, wizarding world, uh, cinematic world at the moment, because it's her first uh, attempt at a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And it's just not adaption from an Oh, well, it's kind of an adaption of a, of a, a comic relief brochure, really, a uh, little booklet that she did uh, over 10 years ago for comic relief. She released Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Quidditch Through the Ages as a bit of a joke to help raise money for uh, uh, comic relief, which they do in the UK. And it's now been... Uh, adapted into a film but it's pretty much just a fresh new idea and the start of a franchise which is going to be five movies sandro um yes. so uh, all the money has gotten into it they've got a stellar cast oscar winner eddie redmayne's in there um the great dan fogel's in there colin farrell's in there it's directed by david yates who directed the last four mm-hmm. harry potter films screenplay as i said by jk rowling um a lot of hype a lot of effort has gone into promoting this film But is it any good? Sandro, what did you think?
1: Uh, Yeah, I went into this very sceptical, as I think a lot of (laughs) us did. Very unsure about whether or not they could pull it off. Uh, And to be completely honest, I think this film was really good. Like, it really worked. Um,
0: Yeah, I I, I went into it very sceptical as well. And so I've seen it twice now. I've seen it in Gold Class and I went and saw it in IMAX uh, just the other day and I I, the first time I came out of it a bit yeah yeah okay I like this I wasn't sure about this okay but after seeing it in IMAX it really um that really sort of like blew my mind away and I saw so much more and I could actually focus on the characterizations a bit more and I picked up some really nice things about some of the performances
1: okay yeah I've only seen it once Uh, I saw it opening night with a bunch of friends and I really enjoyed it I do have a couple of notes I will get to them soon but quick disclaimer straight off the bat I I'm not a massive Harry Potter fan. I've read the books, I've seen the movies, um, but I've never really gone further than that. I enjoy them for what they are, but it's not a world that I absolutely love. It's a world that I know a lot of people love, and I can see why they love it. And I wish that I loved it as much as they do, but I just don't. You know, growing up, I was more of a Narnia kid or a Lord of the Rings kid than I was a Harry Potter kid. If you get what I mean. Um, one thing I really liked about this film was how they handled the action. Uh, one of my big problems, especially with the early Harry Potter films, more than the first two, they kind of fixed it with the third one, was that it was very much a children's film. It was for kids. There were a couple of adult things in there, but not many. Uh, even the, like the supernatural elements were just, just downplayed quite a bit. And with this, they kind of just go for it. Like, the film pretty much opens with this very <laughs> Evil Dead um, kind of shadow thing. I really enjoy that, That actually, and the sound design and how it looked and the, the shots and just the budget. The budget in this film is a massive drawing card, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. And that was one of my personal favourite things. Just going into it, I was already like, oh, I think I kind of learned this more than some of the Harry Potter films, because it's already got me completely sold within the first five minutes. Um, in terms of the cast, the cast were very good. Uh, you <laughs> you have Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne is a weird actor for me. I enjoy him in some things, and I really dislike him in other things. Um, for example, he was b- brilliant in *Lay Miserables and uh, The Theory of... of everything but then Jupiter Ascending happened and his character in that made absolutely no sense and... yeah, I didn't
0: just, I just like him in Les Mis I, I, I really was annoyed by him in Lay Mis and um, Jupiter Ascending was more like oh okay that's a very interesting uh, choice you've made as an actor it's the wrong choice um, but yeah so I've sort of like liked him in some stuff like he's, he's very good in My Week with Marilyn which was a wonderful film with mm. uh, Michelle playing Marilyn Monroe and she, he played her sort of like um, you know, her assistant for a week or so when she was filming uh, a film in the UK. Um, so yeah, Redmayne plays the role of Nudus Commander. Like we haven't said this is set in 1926, so this is you know decades before the you know the events of the Harry Potter world, and but it's within that whole society. So this has gone back to the 1920s, and mm-hmm. um, immediately the film starts off with all the usual stuff that we had in the Harry Potter film. So all the Daily profit moving images and headlines are there to throw you back into the original world. Yeah, that was
1: weird. I didn't like that. You know, the... The music was like really epic and it was just fast-paced. You couldn't really read what was going on. It was just kind of awkward and weird. I didn't like that. You know, I was saying before how I was kind of sold within the first five minutes, but that part kind of threw me off at the very start.
0: It's very much an info dump, an expedition dump. To reassure the Harry Potter fans, this is a world you know. And for those people who have never been to the Harry Potter world in the cinema before, it's to just info dump, throw everything at you. This is the world. This is the terminology. This is how it looks. Um... And it was, a very, it was just bombarded your senses. It was all like an overload of information within that first uh, two minutes.
1: Yeah, I feel like they were trying to do something like, for example, how The Force Awakened handled like the opening crawl, which was the whole Luke Skywalker is missing. Whereas was this tried to kind of do the same thing with the whole like, Grinwald attacks and stuff, but then they don't mention Grinwald until, like, the final half hour, and yeah. it's a bit of a mess, and it makes sense then, but I don't know why they introduced it with that whole newspaper montage info dump. It just... I, I don't know. Like, like that's the one part of the film in which I was not exactly that impressed with. I I'm was like, well, that's a bit... I don't really know why you need to do that.
0: Um, but once it actually settled down... There's been a bit of criticism, and I agree with it, that it doesn't really have a plot. It doesn't really have a narrative. <laughs> it's kind of just, you know, as Homer Simpson famously said, it's just a bunch of stuff that happens. Um, and yeah. I was a little bit annoyed by that the first time. But the second time I see it, I I kind of enjoyed it. And seeing it's the first part of a, a franchise, it kind of gives a – Room to breathe. Films need time to breathe and let the characters grow and develop and let the find out all about these fantastic creatures that Newt's looking after. And to have a lead character, like I said, whose you know ethos is, you know, preservation and saving people and saving animals and trying to get everyone to work together as opposed to, you know, extermination and domination is a beautiful mm-hmm. message to And that's very infectious and it infected the film. Like, you know, Jacob was terrified but also intrigued and he was a willing, you know, nomad or muggle, a non-magic folk who, you know, was, you know, seduced by this beautiful world and and trying to save everything. And the Goldstein Mm -hmm. sisters as well were, you know, were all, you know, suspicious and worried because what JK has set up is she's trying to expand the world. We only saw very much... um, the, the UK version of the Wizarding community with little hints of the French, uh, um, with and 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 other parts of Europe in Goblet of Fire. But this is the American society of 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 magic, and it's very different. It's a more repressed society. They don't interact with non-magic folk. They keep themselves very secret. Uh, the Salem witch hunts is a very, you know, traumatic part of the Wizarding Past there, so they keep very much under shelter and they're very much fearful of being caught. So it was a very repressed society um, in in the American culture, which is quite telling uh, if you look at you know the founding of America and how their society is when it comes to you know conservatism and, and liberalism. So it was very yeah. interesting. I've seen things
1: just quickly, like like going back to what you were saying about the plot. Uh... I do agree that there isn't much plot, but I kind of like that because the whole (laughs) film was very much world-building in the same way that really the first two Harry Potter films were entirely just world-building. And, of course, the books had a little bit more in terms of character development in in there, but the films were just just very much world-building. And I like how this film kind of got it all out of the way in one movie, Um, and I know that uh, with the whole, like, the social commentary element, it wasn't too heavy-handed, which I think worked really well. Maybe the film was a little bit more focused on the plot, the whole uh, saving the, the animals might have felt a bit avatary and a bit, you know, preachy, but it didn't, and I, I think that worked really well.
0: The, the biggest thing about this one that's different from the Harry Potter films, the leads are actually, you know, grown-ups as opposed to the Harry Potter films, which follows you know, developing children. So that gave it a bit automatically uh, a stronger sense of confidence and more, um, you know, because all the wizards are adapt, adept at their um, uh, wizarding skills. So there's a lot of apparating and, 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 and jinxes and all that type of stuff going back and forth as opposed to what we saw in the Harry Potter films of them learning how to control their magic. Yeah. So four leads were very good. They, for me, they were the strong point. The, the Goldstein, Tina and Queenie uh, Goldstein, um, Jacob and uh, Newt were amazing, a really good, solid team. And that's what we like in the Harry Potter films. We have the three leads, Hermione, Ron and Harry. And in this one, we've got the four leads uh, working together and their relationships are very good. The supporting characters have been criticized for not being as well-rounded and I can see that. A lot of the, the other characters, because there's so much focus on the four leads, everyone else is more like uh, two-dimensional characters or more like cookie-cutter images, which I, I do see. They're there to fill a function as opposed to actually fill a role because in the Harry Potter books, all the characters have such range and character and this beautiful detail to all the characters, even in the background from McGonagall to, to Filch to... Hagrid to even Olivanders. every single character had something interesting, whereas here, you know, all the people in the, the American Congress of Magic were all very much just all one tone all the way down to um, the other workers. So yeah. that took away from really shaping the world a bit more human-wise, but there was so much detail put into the four leads and also all the beautiful creatures, which are really the stars of the show—the four leads and the creatures. So we got the ocmie, we got you know um, the Bow Truckle, we've got um, the swooping evil, all these beautiful creatures, and they almost you know, and the thunderbird. to Finally, see the thunderbird, which is an American magical creature. Those characters came to life, and they were in many ways they were the secondary characters, and mm. uh, that was great. So the IMAX version of it was incredible. You picked up so much more detail when you're in Newts. Um, suitcase which is bigger on the inside than on the out Um, you pick up so much detail little creatures just flying around and it's it's a beautiful way to experience this film and really brought out the three D best in any live action uh 3d film i've seen better than avatar
1: yes well that's not hard Uh, (laughs) 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 um yeah one of the major differences uh Aside from, of course, the characters uh, being adults, the other major change is that this is set in America, something which I thought was um, not necessary when the news first came out. I was like, well, do we really need to see this in America? But I liked how they handled it. Uh, it is yeah. it is a period good piece. Um, there was a lot of really cool elements in there from um, the look, you know, the costumes, the environmental design, the city, just the atmosphere. It was almost BBC level, you know, like we all know we chose like Doctor Who and like this year we had The Crown and Victoria. No, oh, wait, The Crown and Victoria weren't BBC. I think The Crown was... Like, funded by BBC or BBC America. I know Victoria was uh, some other channel, same people that do humans. Anyway, it looked great. Uh, <laughs> they're really good at creating these authentic atmospheres and authentic costumes and just making it feel real. And I thought that they handled that really well in fantastic beasts uh one thing i didn't like as much um probably because i'm not a massive harry potter fan was that they changed up a couple of things including the uh the pronunciations of words like for example muggle is now nomad which i wasn't a massive fan on that change i don't really know why and what the point is but you know it's fair enough
0: yeah Yeah, there's eight each you know, culture has its own nicknames for certain things and they do vary from culture to culture. So I was okay with that. And it was, like I said, you know, we saw a more repressed version of magic in the American culture. So I see these next films. sort of like, so she can really explore the world. So you know, apparently rumors are the next one will be mostly set in the parts of it will be set in Paris. So we can see the French, um, within community and see how they are with their magic. And, you know, it's, hopefully going to be sort of like a tour around the world in some ways so you could see how all the wizarding communities vary and that's a hell of a lot of work for jk and she's got under a little bit of criticism for some of her writings on Pottermore about the american history and her sort of like almost whitewashing or you know oversimplification of the native american culture the indian culture there and their use of magic and you could see she didn't really research it enough and kind of wanted to move into more familiar terms for her like the salem witch hunts and modern America, whereas there's this, this rich, beautiful history of Native American culture that she kind of you know skimmed over, which was very insulting. But yes, the um, main focus for the next four will be uh, the introduction of, introduction of younger Dumbledore. There's been a lot of talk that the movies will shift more to focus on the relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald, because apparently, well, famously, you know um Dumbledore was attracted and was you know pretty much in love with Grindelwald and Grindelwald um manipulated that with their search for power and the the Deathly Hallows and that ended up them busting up their friendship and causing this massive feud which is going to be told over the next four films ending in the last one apparently in 1945 with their massive duel which is known as in the Harry Potter world the greatest duel of all time which apparently ran for three hours uh,
1: so Speaking of villains, this time around we had Colin Farrell. Uh, what did you think of him? He was kind of bland, wasn't he?
0: In the first time I saw it, I thought it was—I thought he was very, very bland, and very restrained. I love Colin Farrell as an actor, but he hasn't really done as much as he really could have. Yeah. Um. But after seeing it the second time, and I knew the big reveal at the end, I went into seeing it the second time on IMAX, and I picked up a lot more. I saw his looks. Yeah, I enjoyed Colin Farrell's performance a lot better the second time because I can see, you know, the subtlety. And also it was because yeah. on iMac I can see every little pore on his face working. So, and he's very seductive as well. I forgot to mention this. When he's with Credence, the young boy who's with the uh, second Salemers, who are sort of like these people who want to stop all witchcraft and wizardry. They're, they're sort of like, you know, fanatics. It's played brilliantly by Ezra Miller.
1: Really well played, like I did not didn't realise it was him until the credits, really. And I went, went, wait, that's the guy who's going to be playing The Flash. And this was like yeah, the first time yeah. in which I went, w- Ezra Miller is actually a brilliant actor. So I picked
0: up a lot more of Farrell, um, his subtlety, but also his seductive quality, because it's very very sexual, his his relationship with, um, with uh, Credence and sort of like powering him and seducing him and being very like this authority figure or caring for him. But it's also quite seductive, which is very, you know, um, brave thing to do in a mainstream film, which, you know, mm. should be you know, embracing all sexuality and all type of cultures on film to see that, see that character trait that that Grindelwald uses to get his power, using his his sexuality and his sexual power, really not just his magical power, was really fascinating to see, and I'm glad they didn't shy away from it. So, um, so we've had a good talk about it. What do you give it out of um, uh, the Seven Samurai rating, um, Sandro?
1: Out of Seven Samurai, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this. I really enjoyed. It. It's a fantastic piece of to find them. I would definitely recommend it, even if you aren't like a Harry Potter fan, even if you haven't seen harry potter before this will work like you will quite possibly understand it all you need to know is there's magic and that's it uh so a fantastic beast and where to find them a solid movie i'm going to give it oh 5.5 again i'm going to cut another one in half i'll use the leftover torso from the one from uh, from the water man and using this
0: <laughs> after seeing it a second time i loved it a lot more uh, the special effects are some of the are the greatest special effects I've seen in cinema of all the the magical creatures some of the is the best use of CGI I've ever seen with how those creatures are captured some of the background images aren't as convincing um, some of the green screen work in the background isn't good but all the creatures are incredible and I give it uh, six samurai Out of Seven
1: Samurai. We did put out a post on Facebook a little while ago asking whether or not you, the audience, enjoyed it. And we do have a response here from Reed. He said, It just came out of the cinema and I really enjoyed it. I think, I dare to say, I enjoyed it more than the Harry Potter films. Performances were great. I normally hate Eddie Redmayne. And the CGI was outstanding, particularly... The Credence big badding out, which is a which is a really cool term.
0: seemed to be like a better version of a uh, Parallax from the Green Lantern films, just a big misty evil. But mm. um, so yeah, good feedback. Thank you very much for that read. And uh, um, remember, you can give us feedback as well at uh, feedback at gmail But I'll give you those more information at the end of the show. All right, so we're at the end of the show. It's been a a bumper edition right here and so before we record again um uh, what are you going to be consuming until then mr. mr felcher
1: quite a few things it is finale season at the moment uh tomorrow we're getting the finale of class we're getting the finale of westworld soon ash versus evil dead's wrapping up i think dirk gently is almost over a bunch of mid-season finales this week as well for like gotham and oh. the like um so just a bunch of finales really just ready oh, biggest, myself biggest... for those cliffhangers
0: the big one is uh, the the big crossover event, the DC universe on uh, the Belanti world, really, on television, all four of the DC shows. So that's Supergirl, Flash, Green Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow are doing a massive crossover mm. event, yeah. one episode each show. And they're doing um, Heroes vs. Aliens. They're bringing the invasion story, which was a huge arc um, back in the late 80s. They're bringing that um, storyline to the screen and have, you know, 17 superheroes all in the one episode, which is going to be phenomenal. I've seen the most recent trailer because it starts on Monday. We start with Supergirl I think on Monday. Kind Um, of.
1: It introduces it with Supergirl in like the final five minutes of the episode rather than the episode being about invasion. But uh, I think this is the first major team up we've ever had on TV. It's kind of like the Avengers of um, superhero TV at the moment. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking yeah. forward to it.
0: I'm really looking forward to it as well. It's going to be huge. And it's, um, I've seen the most recent trailer and there's just a shot with all the, you know, all the heroes in the shot. So you've got you know, Supergirl in the air, you've got uh, Mighty Adam, you've got um, you know, all the Legends of Tomorrow. All of them are there. It's an impressive sight. I can't wait to, to, to consume that and get involved in the crossover event. Uh if, uh if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to let us know what you think, what you want to uh, have us review, if you want to join the conversation, and please do, uh, send us an email at feedback.nerdout at gmail.com, or we're on Facebook. We've got our Facebook page. Links in the description. Plus, if you have anything you want us to review, like I said, just send us the title and we'll talk about it. We'll definitely give it a shout out. Um, uh, thank you so much for your time. Have you had fun, Sandro?
1: It's been a lot of fun. I have enjoyed uh, chatting about these fantastic beasts, and I think we now know where to find them.
0: (laughs) Until next time, make sure you nerd out. I've been Rob Lloyd. I've been Sandro. Take care, guys. See ya.
1: You were just listening to Nerd Out, Episode 3, featuring Rob Lloyd and Sandro Felcher. This has been an improbable podcast production. Feel free to contact us at feedback.nerdout at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook for any review recommendations or feedback. The links are in the description. The views expressed are those of the speaker and don't necessarily represent those of the other speakers or the network. No copyright infringement was intended. The opening and closing music of this show is Denial by Dark Shadows. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: that's three years of acting training right there that's my uh, vocal warm-up sandro <laughs> to quote hey oh you laughed you son of a bitch <laughs> Stop laughing at me. this is not this is not a comedy this is serious hard-hitting nerd analysis.
1: i'll tell you what this is this is going in the outtake <laughs>
0: And we haven't even started the episode. Uh, Perfect. Here we go.